0: Welcome into SEC Football and Beyond for this Tuesday, July 6th. Hope you all had a blessed and safe 4th of July holiday weekend. Good to have my partner in crime, Neil McCready, back off from some uh, time with his family. And uh, good to be. Neil, how were things, uh, traveling man? How are things with you?
1: Everything's good. Had a great trip. Uh, Carson and I took our what used to be annual, what we call it, boys' trip. We didn't go last year because of the pandemic. And so we went, uh, we went this year, we went to Cincinnati for about four days and we went to Nashville for about a day and a half. And uh, saw, let's see, we saw uh, Cincinnati Reds play the Padres a couple of times, saw them play the Cubs once, and then saw, um, for those that don't know, Carson's really into soccer. He's a very good soccer player. Uh, we, we, we watched a major league soccer game between Nashville and Philadelphia on Saturday night. The first MLS game I'd seen in person in about three years, the quality of play has uh, noticeably stepped up. Uh, the, there was about 22,000 people at the game in in Nashville, which was a pretty good crowd. It was a, it was a, it was a fun atmosphere. Um, they're building a stadium that's soccer specific there in Nashville. I, I overheard people talking about it. I don't know where it is, but, yeah, uh, they they were is at Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. So it was a little big uh, for that for that. Obviously, they're not filling up a uh, NFL stadium for a Major League Soccer game, but but uh, the the quality of play was good. Carson knew some of the players from um, international competitions and things that he has seen. So uh, Nashville won one to nothing, and I know people hear that and they think, God, what a boring game. But it really wasn't. It was really kind of fascinating to watch. Now that I've learned as much about soccer as I have from living with a uh, 14 year old who's pretty big into it it's kind of interesting to watch strategy nashville scored in the second minute and um totally changes the game when you when you're playing from behind or when you're playing with the lead as the clock expires so uh philly had several opportunities to uh to score and 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 nashville was pretty defense focused there at the end so it was fun we enjoyed the trip it was a lot of fun we um He's a big Fernando Tatis fan, uh, the, the shortstop for the Padres. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Tatis, Tatis is a stud. God, he's amazing to watch in person. And, uh, the Reds are a fun team. We saw the Reds uh, lose and then win twice. But they're 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 a good team. They're making a run in the National League Central. So we had a good time. We had a good we had a good time in, in Cincy and and um, in Nashville as well. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, good. That's great. Great to hear it, man. It's. Um... I'm trying to think here, you know, last week, I'm trying to think, what will we talk about today. I, Neil, you, you know, okay, so you weren't there, so you think, wow, well, I'll just kind of make a couple of quick shows. I, you, you're not going to be surprised with this. <laughs> I was in there both of them went. I think Friday went an hour and 20 minutes. I, I you know, I mean, with questions, and I want to get to them when we talk. So, anyway, we try to uh, – I, I need you to kind of help keep me in line. I'll talk football until, you know, they just shut off the whole thing. But we had a lot of things. That, you know, there's been a lot of little things that's happened, but nothing major. You know, I mean, there's, there's always some things that go on. Uh, we're heading towards uh, – you will know because I'm sure you're going to be there. Uh, SEC media days, I think, are two weeks from this week. or uh, Is that my right or is am I off a week?
1: Uh, yeah, they started in 13 days.
0: So it's usually, there are a couple of things from a football standpoint, at least from coaching, is is after 4th of July, it's like, all right, right, you, you're not that you're not focused before, but college or NFL, you really start to, training camps are starting this month now uh, in the NFL. And uh, usually it's the, the last week, usually the first week of August, that range where you're starting your uh, – well, fall camp um, in college. So it's kind of the final stretch run. So you're putting the the practice scripts together and, and polishing that off a little bit. So kind of the vacation time is pretty much to a minimum, if not completely over. And it's kind of the focus day. The season is virtually here. And for fans, in two weeks when you have media days in the SEC of the first, the season is, hey, it's, it's, Imminent. It's it's here, and the July Fourth has always been the the last holiday before we kick it off. Uh, you know, Neil. It's it's interesting. I was telling um, somebody uh, the other day um, that it used to be training camps for the old folks used to start right after July Fourth. I mean, it was like you literally were done, and then like the fifth or sixth, you were headed towards training camp. This was when training camp was just that, training camp. You had a true offseason. Players would come in for like eight, ten weeks um, and would get into shape, and there was six, count them, six preseason games were down to three. So uh, uh, it's not the same anymore, but we're ready to go. We're going to get into a few things. I did not get to, yeah, I spent an hour and 20 minutes. I still didn't get to a number of things I wanted to talk about on Friday. We had a question about, Kind of ranking the SEC coaches. We're gonna kind of go over a little bit of the state of the program for these schools. We're gonna maybe kind of take a look. You know, today and Friday we get as far as we can. The best players in the league, maybe some players that um, you don't know as much about. Maybe they're on a team that's not that good, or maybe they're just a player that you are not for me, with guys that you need to know. Um, but I do want to start a little bit uh if I could with honoring somebody that um I knew very well, liked a lot, that we lost and we as I get older and as you get older you tend to start to feel your mortality a little bit more when classmates pass away or people you know. Terry Donahue is a little older than I but was was a really good friend and a uh, outstanding coach. Um I think the best coach Certainly the most successful coach in UCLA history was there for 20 years. Tommy Protho was great. There are there a number of guys that were really good. Dick Vermeil did a good job before taking the Eagles job. There have been some good coaches there. But for 20 years, he did a phenomenal job. Um, he was a UCLA football player. Uh, if you look at Terry and you didn't know, and you you'd look at his swelped built and look at him on the sidelines, you know, with his powder blue sweater or, you know, golf shirt and the Sands back Backslash back in the, the, the slack back in those days, you'd say, well, what did he play in college? Yeah, he played defensive end. S- so did, by the way, Lou Holtz, skinny little Lou Holtz. So you never know. He played um, at UCLA and obviously was, he took over for Dick Vermeil, and what a, what an outstanding run he had. He had been sick, sick and he died. Um, Sunday night at the age of 77. Um, So uh, I just want to do uh, was a ideally UCLA UCLA guy through and through and was kind of the good looking guy that was kind of the you know in a in a state where you know the looks are a big deal. He was he was really it and um, won a number of conference titles and and really had success against USC in an era where they weren't dominant but USC was still pretty good and uh, boy that back when they played um, those games meant a whole lot. Um, It it meant winning the Pac-12, Pac-10, excuse me, and going to the Rose Bowl, but anyway, just uh, I don't know if you've never ever had a chance to meet Terry or talk to Terry. He was a great guy. Just he went on to become the GM of the Niners, and we spent a lot of time and she was kind of learning the league and whatnot. So, just uh, it, just sad for me to to um, to hear about his passing.
1: Yeah, I never met him. I uh, watched him. He was coaching at UCLA when I was in high school and college and that kind of thing. So I never. I never was around him at all, or anything like that. But I remember his teams. I remember how uh, remember how good UCLA was uh, under him. So, I saw I saw yesterday where he passed, and so I wondered if you knew him. Figured you probably did. So, my condolences.
0: Yeah. So we did that. Um,
1: so, Chris, here's the big story today. Yes. In college sports, It's the big story today. It's about the University of Miami. We're talking about it in the thread already. While you were talking about. Uh, Gary Furman with Canesport.com reports today that uh, American Top Team, one of the Top Nation's top training academies for MMA fighters, they have more than 44 licensed gyms throughout South Florida and the world, is finalizing plans to offer every scholarship player on Miami's roster, University of Miami, Florida, on their football roster, NIL Contracts. What they're offering is each player will be offered $500 a month, so $6,000 a year, to endorse American Top Team through their social media accounts, personal appearances, and other marketing vehicles. If all 90 players opt to accept the deal, the investment in one year could reach $540,000. So we've heard a lot about NIL and individual players. The quarterback there at Miami, Derek King, has a, a big deal already. But now what you're starting to hear is, so this is going to be a way. Now, I don't know how many businesses can, can put $540,000 a year, $540,000 a year into a football program. But this is a way to pay a team. Everybody's getting this if you want it. Now can't imagine too many players will opt out i guess there'll be a few that might say no i'm not i'm not going to push that whatever but that's what's coming is is these deals on uh, where all you have to do is is uh promote on social media a business and in return they'll give you money now that's a it's a business that's miami based they're essentially miami boosters and in the past, this would have been massive scandal, right? Oh, my God, they're paying. It's, it's a <laughs> scandal now. It's, it's perfectly above board. And so now the pressure is going to be as um, – who wrote this? On, I read it on OutKick just then. It's everywhere. Clint Lamb wrote it on OutKick. I always like giving credit to someone who writes. Uh, I was searching for it real quick on Twitter, and that's the first thing that popped up. Um, now the pressure is going to be on schools to find similar deals, because this is now a recruiting incentive. Hey, if you come to Miami, here it is in black and white. It's right here. We're not lying to you. This isn't, a, this isn't a promise. It's right here. If you come to Miami, you're going to get $500 a month from ATT, America's top team. And I'm sure they're working on other deals. This is This is where NIL gets interesting. To me, it's not... And I've seen players, like I cover Ole Miss, so I'm obviously referring to Ole Miss, and this is going to come across as condescending, and I don't mean for it to. I I really don't. I think you know me well enough. If I wanted to be condescending, I would be outright condescending. (laughs) I I don't mean this to be critical or condescending or or anything. But I see players kind of launching like apparel lines. And good for them. As someone who has dipped his toe probably – I probably dipped my leg knee deep in apparel lines. They're not going to make any money off the apparel lines. It's a pain in the ass. You're going to end up having to figure out someone to ship. And it's it's a we did that with, with uh, MPW Digital, the Oxford Exxon podcast, which is my big podcast that we do. And what we quickly learned <laughs> is that we weren't nearly popular enough to make. to make any significant money off of merchandise, off of apparel. And I suspect you'll see the players at Ole Miss and other schools all over the country who are doing this, they're going to learn that too. You might make some peanuts. You might make a little spending money. It's not going to be worth it. Um, the, The money is going to be in deals like this. And there's now pressure on schools to go make these kinds of deals happen so that you can compete. In the recruiting trail, because this is now going to become a uh, a recruiting incentive.
0: Well, as I've said, when all, all when all this started, was people are naive if they think oh, only a certain amount of players are going to be able to warrant this or that. Well, a certain amount of players are going to be able to get big deals. So, De'Arcy King has a deal, I forget the name of the company, and I'm not one that's going to remember all the names of the companies or really care that much about it. There are going to be some players that are going to be able to get deals on their own. But you'd be naive, folks, if you didn't think that you're going to have companies that will take care of all the players in somehow, some way. And that is going to be figured out because, <clears throat> because now the school doesn't have to do it. It's a way for the boosters. I said, money's being funneled anyway under the table. Now it's going to be above the table. Now, what I have heard, and I have no idea because I don't follow this world of this industry. I've heard that a lot of big companies are kind of sitting this out, waiting to see how this works, and then you know. So, I, if if they deem it a good investment, um, yeah, we could see. I have know nothing about this company. America's top team and their financial wherewithal. Obviously, this says a little bit. You know, they're not, you don't throw that type of money around if you don't have good money. But think about people that have a lot more money that could get involved. So, what about the real AT&T? What about Coca-Cola? What, what about places like that that, you no, know, do they stay, provide that money with the university? You know, so the university say, we, we, we need to We need the Coca-Cola money for our athletic department or do you have those type of companies and and there are a lot of them that I don't even know the names of uh, that that could get involved to where you you could get maybe $1,000 a month per player uh, and and things like that so that everybody gets something. Everybody's going to have something in addition to what they have and to think that that's not going to be worked out through boosters and of course there's going to be intermediaries areas that that are going to go through. There's not going to be traced. It's not like, hey, the athletic director is going to pick up the phone and call a big company. gonna like, this this is going to happen organically over time. And yeah, I think that that we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and, but I I, I I don't know, you Neil, know, how it's going to play out. How long? I mean, it's going to happen organically over time. I think no one really knows. Everyone. Um, thinks they have the this it's gonna this is the timeline i I think it's a work in progress that everybody's gonna see as they go how this plays out but we'd be foolish to think that this this is not the way of the world and everybody well what's gonna happen if don't know don't know
1: chris grind makes a great point in the in the thread and i when this first happened i kind of giggled at it and, and looked at it and then i started watching the reaction and i was like whoa this is real so, Milo's tea, if you've ever been in Alabama, I lived in Alabama for God, a long time.
0: I get I get Milo's lemonade all the time.
1: Okay. If you live in Alabama, I love it. Milo's is just – it's everywhere.
0: It's in 43 states.
1: Yeah. But if you live there, it's just huge. Like, I live in Mississippi now, and I don't ever see Milo's. When I lived in Alabama, it was everywhere. So, they, on the first day, really within the first couple of hours, uh, Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, put out a, essentially a social media ad for Milo's that he was a new spokesperson for Milo's specifically for the T and the criticism came immediately I didn't know this but Milo's apparently is based in Oklahoma and people in Oklahoma were like, well, why are you doing this with an Alabama based player, we're, we're right here in Oklahoma and then of course, there were Alabama fans who uh, said "Well, now, hold up I'm not going to get – I'll just get my tea elsewhere if you guys are going to uh, sp- sponsor an Auburn quarterback. And so, as Grind points out in the thread, they had to cut a deal with an Alabama player to go, hey, we're, we're using everybody. So here's the thing with, like, AT&T and, you know, um, Walmart, big companies that, you know, people go, well, you know, Walmart's based in Arkansas. They're going to sponsor Arkansas players. No, they're not. Because Walmart, <laughs> no, they're not. Walmart, Walmart has stores everywhere, and they don't, they don't want they don't want people to boycott Walmart because they sponsor an Arkansas player. So they're going to wait it out for a while and see how this market shakes out. Because right now it's the wild, wild west, and ah. um, and I think it's going to be the wild, wild west for a little while. They're going to wait it out and they're going to see what it looks like, see what works, what doesn't and then decide whether or not they want to dip their toes into this or if they decide hey this isn't this isn't big enough for us and i think and i'm basing this on some conversations i've had with people who are pretty informed i think the big companies are going to do what the big companies always do and that's kind of sit back and wait to see who emerges as You know, the star players this season wait to see who emerge as the players who kind of drive the conversation on Saturday morning when ESPN game day welcomes you. Hey, we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we're talking about this. They're going to wait and see that. And they're going to do more of the mainstream stuff. So I don't know that it's going to have, at least initially, the trickle down effect that a lot of people thought it would have um, that that you'd see all of these players making money everywhere i don't i don't think that's going to happen and then i'll get your reaction on the other side of this but the other thing is and i live in a in a house with teenagers young people consume media much differently than we did because they have so much more media to consume so it's It's These companies are going to wait and see who can be an influencer and who's not an influencer. And right now, some of the people who've made the big money, are the the gymnasts at LSU, uh, people like that, people who have a YouTube presence, an Instagram presence, a TikTok presence, it's not some of the guys like you and me that that are a little older and, and don't really completely understand that We keep thinking this is going to be traditional advertising. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Chris, I'll get your thoughts on that on the other side of this. First, let me tell you, we're brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly. Through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores, Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience. From services to products, Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh and always provide the freshest flavors of their brand-name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all, and at Blue Sky, they want to show their customers they care about them and their shopping experience. They'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the Southeast.
0: I do think the folks that will, I've always said, the good looking gymnasts, the good looking volleyball players in better position to sell stuff individually for us. The, no one really cares about gymnastics program other than the, the few people, but you put a good looking blonde uh, gymnast from LSU, that's going to... <laughs> It really has very little to do with gymnastics or LSU or anything. It's just more of the th- those are going to get their play, and those are the ones that uh, are going to drive a lot of um, social media interest.
1: Especially when they have a ready-made social media following on one of the major platforms, and, and they have
0: it because of their their looks. Sure. I mean, that's what it, that's what it's about.
1: Sure, but the the fact that they, you know, uh, the, the, the gymnast at LSU. I mean, you know, I mean, all jokes aside, yeah, is she attractive. Absolutely, is that part of it? Of course, it is. She also understands. She has a lot of uh, a lot of young women her age who follow her because she's an influencer. She tells them about workout routines. She tells them about uh, you know, uh, what was the word I'm looking for? Cosmetic things that she uses. Her her makeup routine. We, here's what she here's what she uses. This is what she does. This is. Like, my my daughters are really into health and fitness. They are always looking for like kombucha and these different coffee drinks and stuff that are energy provided. It's, it's a, I'm telling you, it's a different world than what a lot of people think it is. And I don't know truly how many football players, for example, have that sort of social media following. The way that, like, some of these young basketball players, these AAU stars that, Already have highlight reels at 14 and 15 that are going to, according to today's rules, have to play one year in the college game unless they go to the G League. Some of those guys are going to be the guys that, when they get, if they spend a year in college, they're going to make real NIL money because they come in with like a, a million Instagram followers. I mean, look around at college football. How many of these guys truly have that kind of following? The answer is not many.
0: Yeah, no, no. Well, one of the things that's going to be interesting is following the different programs and coaches and the status. And one of the things, and by the way, we're going to get to your questions here. We see them all there um, in a bit and uh, that segment coming up. But one of the questions I did not get to uh, on Friday that I think it is good because we're going to see these coaches have their day at the podium at Media Day, uh, ranking the SEC coaches. And um, get into that. We talked a little bit Friday about just in general some of the programs and coaches, but ranking them is difficult. Neil, I went through uh, it was again another question. I went through ranking, uh, excuse me, how I evaluate and rank coaches when I do coaching search stuff, be it head coaches or assistant coaches for staff, the qualities I look for and what have you. Uh, I do think it's obviously it's a lot different than what I think the public looks at, they look at the result. They look at the result and attach the success, and of course, that is one way to do it. What's really important is what creates the result, and so um, there are different ways you can evaluate coaches. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, after Nick Saban, we don't even need to discuss uh, that. But after him, you you, you can look at. Uh, different success rates, how long a coach has been there, and I think some of those things factor in. You can look at guys that are in their first year, not really fair to evaluate only to the point of what they've done to this point, point. and so the Shane Beamers, the Clark Lees, the Josh Heupels are a little bit difficult to slot in just based upon, you know, Josh Heupel's been a head coach. Um, Clark Lee is a really bright Young defense coordinator that really deserved an opportunity to be a head coach. And Chain Beamer has been around the South Carolina program. Clark, of course, was a was a walk on player at Vanderbilt. Those are very difficult jobs and they're going to be very difficult for those guys to have success. Uh, you look at Brian Harson, very successful coach, really good coach. Uh, can he recruit an elite level? So I'm going to kind of just give you my thoughts and then kind of. Let you have that a little bit, because I did talk some about it on Friday. didn't go into specific rankings, but, you know, if I were to look at it, you know, the guys that, when I look at a program in the SEC, the program that looks the most like Alabama, and no one is Alabama, in the SEC is Georgia. Um, How they do things behind the scene, again, behind the curtains. They look like them. They do a lot of things like them. Now, there's some things they do differently schematically on defense and what have you, but uh, and then offensively, they've not unleashed the uh, things on offense to this point. We'll see that, but the program stability wise, that looks really good. The next program that looks the next closest was Texas A&M in terms of how they do it, and they've got, obviously, a Jimbo guy that's won a national title that's starting to get his type of place. He's had to transition from someone's offense to his. Those are the programs that look really, really good. And then Florida with Dan Mullen, so creative, can with his quarterbacks and with his offense, they'll always be good and will be good enough to win big time games against the Georgias and the Alabamas because of their offense. The key is defensively, they've always been good in the secondary. They've usually had good guys up front. Can they get the defense to play at a consistent level, and can they recruit at a level where they can match that? Because constantly having to overcome certain talent gaps is not a good formula to win consistently. It's win every once in a while, but I think there's those guys are really, really good. Then I look at a guy like Mark Stoops that does a great job with what he has in terms of Kentucky resources and they've got money, but it's a different level, tradition, recruiting base, and what have you. They're having to live a lot in outside of the state, of course. I think the the bright mind offensively of Lane Kiffin is intriguing. Um, the guy that maybe is going to be ranked higher in most people's eyes than maybe would be in mine is Ed Orgeron. Well, he won a national title, Chris, two years ago. and. And there's no question that the recruiting ability that he has in the the state that he has is really good. But I look at consistency and, you know, the stability. And so the up and down nature would concern me. So I would kind of leave out Ed among the top level coaches in the conference until I see him do it a little bit more consistently. And then we can you know, go through it in, in Eli and Sam or, 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 or guys that have proven it. But anyway, I, I'll give you a chance to answer that question any way you'd like to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, people used to do this when I was in the newspaper business. They would say, hey, let's do a column where we rank the coaches. And it's always, as you just pointed out, it's almost impossible because often you're comparing apples to grapefruits. Um, you know, uh, or apples to pineapples. I mean, you're comparing two totally different things. I mean, look, Saban's the best coach in the history of the league, history of the of the country. That's number one, obviously. After that, you get into it. It depends on how much Jimbo won at Florida State. He's winning at Texas A&M. Personally, I put him pretty high up. Um, you look at the job Kirby's done. Kirby Smart at Georgia. They've been very consistent but they've also consistently lost games that people thought they should win. Yet, we would view them completely differently if an overtime against Alabama had gone the other way. And so when a, you, know, you, you make it to the, an overtime of a national title game, you're right there at the pinnacle of your sport. I mean, change a play and you win. So you've got to put them up there with the way that their program is. Um, Mullen won big at Mississippi State. He's taken over at, at Florida. Took over a program that had kind of cratered a little bit. He's building it back. I rank him pretty high. Um, like you, I don't, I don't put Orgeron in because if you're gonna if you're gonna take Ed Orgeron the coach, you've got to evaluate Ed Orgeron the coach in his in his totality. And he had one huge year at LSU that no one can ever take away from him. Where for 12 months, they were the best football program in the country. But since then, they haven't been. And before that, they weren't. And when he was at Ole Miss, it was a train wreck. An absolute disaster. So I don't put Orgeron in that same quadrant at all. And then here's where I have a hard time evaluating how do you rank coaches. If I put Mark Stoops at Alabama, what would he do? If I put Mark Stoops at Georgia, what would he do? Is Kirby Smart that much better of a coach than Mark Stoops? If I put Kirby Smart at Kentucky, this is the way that nobody ever does this. Would Kirby Smart win at Kentucky the way that he wins at Georgia? Or would he win about the way that Stoops wins? I don't know the answer to that. Um, we're going to judge Clark Lee on what he does at Vanderbilt. If I put Clark Lee at Kentucky, would he win seven games? And then when we talk about him as like coach of the year, because, oh, wow, look what this young whippersnapper of a coach did in year one. Um, Lane Kiffin's just in year two at Ole Miss. It's way too early to make any judgments one way or the other. He appears to have program momentum but who knows. We saw what Mike Leach did at Washington State, what Mike Leach did at uh, Texas Tech. He's only in year two at Mississippi State. He doesn't appear to have momentum yet but who knows. It's too, As you mentioned it's too early to judge a Sam Pittman. He had a, he had some moments last year at Arkansas yet they lost a bunch of close games. Um, you know, are we talking about him differently if some of those games had changed? Sam Pittman's a good example. If Sam Pittman had been promoted at Georgia, for example, to head coach, is, is he – is, is, are they does, – does Arkansas I – mean, does Georgia take a big step back with Sam Pittman as opposed to Kirby Smart? If you put Kirby Smart at Arkansas, what would he do there? That's, that's where, for me, ranking coaches as a guy who's not a football expert is really difficult. The only, the only ones I feel confident in saying, I feel like you could put Nick Saban at Kentucky, Nick Saban at Arkansas. He might not win the way he's winning at Alabama, but he'd win big. Um, I feel confident with that. He, he could win absolutely anywhere. And then after that, man, there's just a bunch of question marks. Like, what, what do you, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you evaluate some of those people in totality when you look at them Stoops to me is that interesting guy. He's done at Kentucky really what nobody's ever done before. He's put them, he's made them competitive consistently over the what's he been like seven, eight years now? I mean he's done it, he's done it for long enough to go, this guy's a really good coach. And so then you get into as you and I've talked about before, and fans hate this, and I understand why. There are program ceilings. So if Kirby Smart went to Kentucky, would he Raise the roof on Kentucky's ceiling or would he hit that ceiling and get stuck there too? I, I don't know the answer to that. If you put stoops at Georgia, would he win eleven games? I, I don't know. He's won seven or eight at Kentucky. If he went to Georgia, would he win eleven? Or or is is his ceiling seven, eight wins? I don't know. You you would know this kind of thing better than I would.
0: Yeah, the, the jobs are different. Um so like, let me give you an example. Let, let's take the guy that everybody recognizes as the best ever in Nick Saban. <coughs> Nick Saban at Michigan State is different than Nick Saban at LSU, which is different than Nick Saban at Alabama, and, and I'm not even discussing the, the Dolphins situation, because it's a different league, but just in college ball. We discussed it, and he the reason why he left at Michigan State Um he said, I, I can't win a national championship here. People don't like hearing, and, and that applies to other places too. And, and why is it? It's not that you can't, but the things that you have to do, certain programs choose not to, can't do it, what have you. I know the question is, you get the right coach, you can, you can change it. Um... It's more than the right coach. Why is it that Nick Saban's disciples go on, in some cases have success, Jimbo Kirby, uh, uh, others really flop. Well, A, they're not Nick. You may know the system and you may take the system, but there are no layers of bureaucracy at Alabama. Nick needs something, it's done. If you take that system and you take that approach, you go somewhere else if they don't have the uh, uh, if they don't have the same obliteration of bureaucracy and they have issues, you won't have the same result. For example, Nick Saban. Let's say Nick Saban had stayed at LSU, um, and he wasn't because he was going to go into the NFL at some point. It was just he wanted that he wanted to try that. He would have. Look, I mean, Ed has won a title, Les won a title. He would have won more titles. He would not have been as successful as he's been at Alabama. Why? There's a difference. Alabama has more financial resources to do everything you want. So, when, here's the little. But but let me interrupt. let, let let, Let me finish. Let me finish this because this is a really key thing. When he was at LSU, he had. Mark Emmert that got him what he needed to do. When Mark Emmert left for Washington he was gone. He was, he was halfway out the door. So he would have had success but the consistent dominant success he's had at LSU Mark Emmert had to work to get things done that at Alabama are done in a one-hour phone conversation by somebody.
1: Only That's the Saban. Difference. Though they did it, they did it for Bear Bryant, and they did it for Nick Saban. That's and correct. For everyone in between. That's correct. I tell people this all the time about this Alabama thing, and I and again, I have all the respect in the world for Alabama. I covered them. It's all that stuff, but man, they went. They went two decades where they were mediocre. They were correct,
0: athletes. because because again, it doesn't guarantee you that if you have all the resources, you're going to win. Texas, Michigan, how you do it is important. But if you don't have the resources or you have less resources than someone else, it just makes the job that much tougher. So the point is, you know, everybody said, you know, because people talked about it, you know, would he ever leave Alabama and go back to LSU? No, because he's got things, and I'm talking years ago, Texas. Texas has as much money or more than Alabama, but the politics and everything in Texas was He only used the Texas thing to get more money. So the point is, is that Nick will tell you could not win it at Michigan State because of how they did it. Now, in theory, if they did all the things and had the resources to do everything that they do at Michigan or what have you, Michigan is very political, and they get in their own way more than anybody. They make more money than Alabama in their athletic department, but they don't do the same things, and they don't have the same guy. So, yeah, the, the right coach is pivotal, but the that's the chicken-egg thing. Can you get the right coach? Would Nick Saban ever take the job at Kentucky? No. At Ole Miss, no. No disrespect to those places, he wouldn't do it. Uh, what's the difference between Steve Spurrier at Florida and Steve Spurrier at South Carolina? Well, it's the end of his career, and you could make a case of that, but the difference is Florida. More access to talents. He, you know, he wasn't a great recruiter, but people recruited on his staff. And he had a greater level of success. So, there is a difference. And so, I think the point is, is people don't like this answer because they want definite. Tell me who's the best, my guy. Well, it's easy with Saban. Uh, but, to think that he could go anywhere, to go to Kentucky, and Kentucky would be now... You know, what Alabama is, it couldn't be with Nick Saban. It would be the best that Kentucky could be, but the point is he would never go there because you would never get the same commitment that they have at Alabama.
1: This is where you and I kind of agree and sort of disagree. And we'll talk about it on the other side of this. I'll I'll tease it here. Saban, is—he's number one, he's brilliant. He took the LSU job. He left Michigan State for LSU because he saw that he would have a better opportunity to win. He doesn't take a job until he knows. He didn't take the Alabama job until he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's right. Everyone would get out of their way. So he wouldn't take the Kentucky job, for example, until he knew that the machine would be put in place as best Kentucky could do it for him to win. Saban hires great assistants. He puts a great organization together. He's an incredible evaluator, a great recruiter. I actually think Nick Saban at Kentucky in his prime, Kentucky would be a national title contender. That's what I think. We can talk about it on the other side. I think you disagree, but I don't think the gap between some of the programs is as it's there. I just don't think, I don't think the ladder is as unclimbable as maybe you do. And I'm not saying I'm right or you're wrong. It's just it's a difference in thought. But we'll talk about that in a minute. First, let me tell you that we're also brought to you by Alpha Specialties, located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. It's your trailer-specific professional. If you want to haul it, they can call it at Alpha. Alpha is the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. They've got Load Trail. It's the premium brand trailer, the highest quality Utility, equipment, dump, and gooseneck trailer being built today. Fully primed and powder-coated load trail trailers come with an industry-leading three-year warranty and two years of roadside assistance. Alpha Specialties also has Hallmark cargo trailers, one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market. It's perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camps, hauling race cars, and more. They can even work with third parties to have game day trailers and concession trailers built just for you. For podcast listeners, they have spare tires and wheels starting at just $100, a full selection of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories, and listeners can also get 10% off the yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full service shop, where they can repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, and RV. So give them a call at 601-932-9798 or check them out at Alpha. Of MS.com and make sure you tell the people at Alpha that you heard about them on the MPW Digital Network of Podcast.
0: Let's get to some of the questions um, that people have. Let's see here is uh let's see Uh Grind says Kentucky would be uh would be Iowa, maybe Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, that's uh yeah. Well, let me just say this and to your point. Um I can tell you this, regardless of what I think and you think, Nick Saban does not think he could go to because we've had conversations he does not think he could go to Kentucky and win. Now again this is part of understanding in theory if Kentucky could do everything Alabama does then they wouldn't be Kentucky then then yes you could win a national title and you could be Kentucky you can be you can be what Alabama is um because you can be that doesn't mean you are that um again Texas, Michigan, programs that can be the best, uh, he wouldn't, I can tell you this, he was not interested in the Notre Dame job. He wouldn't be interested in the Michigan job. Not because they don't make money at those places, but because they don't have the, the things that he believes that you need to be successful to be at. He didn't think in Michigan State and Kentucky are very similar type programs. Michigan State's a place, it's a little bit easier to get to a Maybe a playoffs and a fourteen playoff, um, but again, does th- the whole point is Michigan State doesn't have or is not in, in this case they don't have what what others have, and, and if they could, and you know that would have been a place that he probably would have stayed at before maybe going into the NFL. It wasn't, so I think I think there is a difference. It's hard, it's hard to say, whatever, whatever the program's optimal level is, Nick Saban would get it to that. Whatever that is, it could go anywhere and get the most out of a program. But the point is, he would not go there unless he had a list of things, and he would just, you know, he would have to scratch them off, you'd have to check them all off, or he wouldn't go. So, it's kind of a moot point, and it is a chicken-egg thing. Well, in theory... If you could everything that Alabama does, everything that they have, if you could place it somewhere else in some innocuous place, yes, he could build something special there. The point is, is very few can do it like they do it. And you know, I know you say, Well Alabama hasn't always well that's because politics have got in at Alabama, just like they've gotten in at Texas. Sure. Why, why do they screw things up at Texas time in and time again? Well, they hire the big, Well, why do they hire the bad coaches? Why do they not support? Why does guys screw it up? Nick Saban told me to my face. He yelled at me when I was, was telling him about the LSU job, why he should take it. He says, if it's such a bleeping great job, Chris, why do they keep firing coaches left and right? Well, you know what I mean? You know, they obviously, you know, you sit there and say, well, Curly Hallman, and, you know, I was with Mike Archer and all that. And, you know, those are the discussions that we had. The the point is, he's not taking the LSU job if Mark Emmett doesn't. He has this list, and we talked about it. These are the things that you need to have that they don't have at LSU. And Jimmy had the list, and Nick went in with his legal pad of all the things, and Mark Emmett said, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that. You got my word, I'll do it. And then the money was that. So the point is, is yeah, he couldn't have all the things that he has at Alabama and other places because he's earned that. But he earned that before he got to Alabama on his reputation. And Mal Moore said, you know, everybody, this is how he's going to do it. You're not to bother him. And nobody bothers him. Not the athletic director, not the president. And he can do that. So if you took other people and maybe that were not quite as good as Nick, but were good, and they had the complete carte blanche, they would have more success. But the reason why he has complete carte blanche is because he's been so successful. If he wasn't so successful, then they would say, ah, Bill Curry, you know, Mike Dubois. So they're not going to sit there and treat those guys the same. Um, in theory, what I always tell administrators, Look, give everybody your complete support and then you can judge them on their ability to get the job done or not. Because if you interfere then you're basically having to fire them. And you, you A, you limit maybe who will take the job in the future, and you really don't know how to evaluate your coach. And I deal with that in the NFL a lot, too. Everybody thinks it's equal. But, no, it's a great point, and it's really one of the ways, and this is maybe the answer to the ultimate question, is kind of difficult to evaluate the coaches. Folks may have their favorite ones, love their school, you know, hate the opposition, but the bottom line is I think the – opinion of people in football are quite a bit different than maybe folks would have out in the public. Um, I don't know, Will, is Saban a favor expanding the playoffs? My my guess is that he'll adjust to it. Probably not, although uh, I really don't know. I haven't had the conversation with him. Um, I'm trying to think. Somebody asked a question. Grind um, says every coach at Alabama has had a history at least one ten season, and this was in eleven games. Yeah, no, I think they've actually done. Ohio State's a place, another place that absolutely just you print championships. Everybody's been there, really good for a long time, um, and I do think the reputation of certain coaches is going to be affected greatly by who you're going up against. So I think everybody is looked at as less than what they really are, perception-wise, because of Nick Saban. Uh, How good is Kirby Smart or Jimbo Fisher or anybody else in the SEC that has coached against Nick Saban? (laughs) They've not looked as good because you can't beat them. Well, if the the answer is you got to beat him. Then, then I guess your answer is Nick Saban good, everybody else bad. That, that's not true. It's just there's only one Nick Saban.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm huge on on Saban. Um, he's he's more so than almost anybody. He knows how to put together an organization that works. It's interesting that he would say that about he couldn't do it in Kentucky what he what he did at Alabama obviously I mean look Alabama's in any in any way that you evaluate hey top programs if you're a coach you can go anywhere in the country name five jobs Alabama's one of those five and it will continue to be one of those five post statement they just the resources as you mentioned are just overwhelming the interest is incredible they are it's a it's a different world and until you've lived in that state until you've operated in that state until you've sort of seen how it works you really can't relate to it and I know people hate that well you have to be live there to understand it with Alabama you kind of have to live there to completely understand it it's it's different like Connor says what are some resources Alabama has that say a Kentucky or Ole Miss doesn't can those other schools ever add those resources It's it's a it's a level of Kentucky has it in basketball Kentucky fans are about basketball the way Alabama fans are about football. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's not even – some people call it a passion. It's beyond a passion. It's a religion. And I don't mean that in a negative way, and I don't mean it in a positive way either because it can be really over the top. But, you know, it's just different. I don't know how to explain it. It's just – there's a – it's different. It's, it's, it's a constant – topic of conversation um in a way that I mean I live in Mississippi now obviously in a way that that it's it's not here and I I grew up in Louisiana and it's not like that in Louisiana either it's that it's a two totally different cultures yeah LSU fans love football but they don't obsess over football the way that Alabama does over the course of 365 days that's my observation you may disagree living there in, in Baton Rouge but the casual, the casual fan is not as religiously fanatic about it as they are in Alabama.
0: LSU doesn't have as much money as, as Alabama. As I say this all, this gives you an idea of, and it's outside money. They all make them, for people to ask, this maybe answers the question. And I see Will says Bear Bryant did it at Kentucky. Oh, he won a conference title at Kentucky, and he left because it wasn't, the commitment to football it was in basketball so he took a in his eyes a better job at Texas a and The difference at say, and I just use this example for fun, you need a million dollars for something. At Alabama that's a 15 minute conversation, one phone call. At LSU, that's a, probably a two-week process to raise $200,000 from five people. It could be done and the big money, it, its so there's a lot of outside booster money that is added upon the money that comes in from the athletic department. I said this before, and this gives you an idea um, of where things stand. Georgia, Texas, Michigan, Texas a and Ohio State, Penn State, all make more money in the last um, uh, uh, look at the revenue streams from the last uh, year, but th- if that's including the money you make from the athletic department. The ability to go and get extra funds and do things, you know, so the people said, well, what, what does Kentucky and Ole Miss need to do? It, it, it's it's that. It's, do they have that extra money to do that? Why is it that Amazon can do things that others can I mean, there's just, now they make their money and all that, but so... Does Alabama. The passion, the cult following, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money that put money and focus in it. Texas, Texas A M, now Texas A and M is a place that you can go to that's never wanted. What makes Texas A and M more viable than say an Ole Miss or Kentucky? Money. Sure. But the, And that's what Alabama has, but they also have the... Texas A&M has just won one title. In, I mean, they just don't have a great championship tradition in football. It's good, but they can do things, and that's why it's a lot better job in Jimbo's eyes than Florida State, even though Florida State's had the Bobby Bob and the championship. Why? A, it's his program. If he wins at AM, they'll build statues of Jimbo, not, you know, let's build a little one next to Bobby in Florida State. But mainly... He can get whatever he wants, and it's not just that they have the money, but they're willing to spend it a certain way. At Texas, you can get all the money you want, but it comes with all sorts of, you know, I gotta, I want to have my say, I want this or that. That wouldn't work, and that's why it wouldn't. Nick was never really seriously interested in taking Texas because you couldn't get the twenty-three multimillionaires that could put most any booster to shame. Any school around, those people are, they're more ego-most, whereas at Alabama, and whether it's Malmore and people around it, you don't really hear of Paul Bryant Jr., and Paul Bryant is more involved in Alabama, the university, and things, he's he's not, he's gotten along very well, maybe not at the beginning, ruffle feathers, but, you know, those things matter, so it's the, not just the money, but the the focus on certain areas and the allowance of them to do it, and, and Kentucky's done it in basketball, so it's there's no question that things, it, it it's uh, it's all of that, it's all of that. And uh, Will says he got a watch, and Rupp got a Cadillac. There's a there's a story about that, and there's uh, people there that said it didn't happen that way. It's just too darn good of a story to to not at least say it though. And he was talking about when Bear Bryant. I have this picture, and I'll take a picture of her and put it up here. I, uh, one day, it's in my back room, memorabilia room, and it's a picture that symbolizes Kentucky with Adolph Rupp and Bear Bryant. It's Adolph Rupp standing there with his arms folded, and Bear Bryant looking over his shoulder. And that was more indicative than the Cadillac and the watch of you know why you move on. So yeah, you can have success. Look, Mark Dantonio did a great job at Michigan State, getting him into the playoffs. Um, you know, you can do it so you can have success, but consistently, um, look now what comes with it is, you go to Alabama, you replace replacing Nick Saban, you better not go five years and not win at least one title, maybe two, or else they're saying, this is not working. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of where it is, and do the people, all the money's there, do the people say, well, Nick's got all that control. You hire the next guy. Does that guy get the same treatment at the beginning? Well, maybe that's, not. I mean,
1: that's the great question. I mean, you know, and look, number one, Sabin might have ten more years. I mean, <coughs> there's, you know, Saban might coach till he's in his eighties. I mean, who knows? I mean, the guy, what he turns seventy on Halloween, I believe. I believe that's correct. Correct. Um, I think we all hope to look as healthy as he looks at 70 there's there's no sign at all that nick saban's slowing down so this this conversation that we all do if we talk about sec storylines that will be one of them one of the sec storylines for media days will be hey nick saban turned 70 this year is that the end and some people and i think the smart people will say 70 is the new 60 um you know and there's no sign that nick saban's walking away but Replacing Nick Saban, who could walk into Alabama and maintain the power structure the way that it is today? Frankly, Chris, only one name comes to mind, and and he's got that power structure at Clemson already. I don't know whether Dabo would go home to Alabama. He's probably the one person who could walk into that building and there not be any kind of a power struggle. Because if they hire a young coach, a lot of the people who've kept out of it because they knew that was – that was what you had to do with Saban. They're going to want to get their fingers back into it again. They're going to want to have some influence again. They're going to want to be involved again. And that potentially starts a little bit of a, a backtrack from the success that Alabama's had. And there's no sign that that moment's coming anytime soon.
0: Yeah, no, everybody's looking at it and even looking for every little chink in the armor if they lose a game, oh, he's losing it. Uh, or, you know, the recruiting goes to second in the country. Ah, uh, you see, it's not the same anymore. And I think the extension was, more than anything, to avoid the conversation, which you're right. Still going to be talked about. Sure. But you know what? Come out, uh, October, when he turns 70, they, there's not going to be as much of, and I think this is why they did it, there's not going to be as much of, well, you know what? He's 70. He's it, is this it? Is this the end? I think they answered that this offseason. That the only thing that 70, seventy, seven oh on a birthday cake is not going to chase him out. What's gonna chase him out is something is that's just health wise or what have you. And sure. that's just we all are you know, we don't know what's gonna happen.
1: But it could um, be happens to his wife. So yeah, you just could, yeah. Right. yeah. As of as of today, anybody that's that's looking at that going, Hey, you know, we're almost to the end of this I, you, you might that might be wishful thinking on your part, and if you're an Alabama fan, it's probably an, a level of dread that you don't need to worry yourself with at this point i don't I don't get the sense from anybody in Alabama who's connected to that university or that program at all. I don't get the, the sense that that's something that feels imminent at all at this point,
0: yeah, no, and so I think it's really important to understand when you evaluate coaches um to kind of wrap it up is. Every circumstance is different. And um, I guess it's just when you... What's the saying? You you see how the sausage is made when when you kind of work in football. You know what everybody has to do and how they have to do it. And you realize they all have different jobs. They really do. And everybody thinks, well, everything's equal because everybody's getting a big check from the SEC office. No, what it is, it allows more people to become a player and to be a factor to have a good program. But when you're looking in this conference and you've got everybody that's a competitor, everybody that's good, um, you can recruit at a top 10 level and be like 6th or 7th in the SEC, so everything's relative. And so your record may not reflect it. People get frustrated. and, and then I think that when it comes right down to it, what makes Saban the best? They recruit the best players, and they develop them the best. So when you talk about the best programs that recruit, Alabama leads the list. And when you talk about the best at developing players, Alabama leads the list. That's what makes them unbeatable. Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, they're elite. They're outstanding. Uh, and they're better at one than the other. Alabama's the best at both. That's why everybody, it's, it's just like can you just knock them off this year is the kind of the theory pretty much year in and year. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can. Sometimes sure. there's a chink in the and you can get it done. It's just not on a consistent basis. Well, we've kind of gone through it. I tell you what, Friday we're going to get into uh, something we we're not able to get to today. Let's take a look at the I went over a little bit conference by conference, Neil last week of some key players. We're going to get into the minutia of the best players in the league, uh, the SEC. And then we're going to get into maybe some players that maybe, and we'll coincide with it, some of the players that you may not be aware of. Maybe it's the offensive line or positions you don't follow or study as much. Some players that are really good that are not on maybe the best teams, uh, but are really, really good individual players. Man, we've gotten through a lot today, my friend.
1: We have, as always. We always do appreciate everybody being with us um, in the thread today, participating, and always glad to have you. Hope everybody had a great fourth. So we'll be back with you, as Chris mentioned, on Friday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time. We'll talk uh, players and that kind of thing as we get closer and closer to media days and the start of the 2021 season. Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this episode of SEC Football and Beyond. Until Friday, take care.